Good morning, people of the internet. You're listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank, one minute at a time. I'm Dev. And I'm Hugh. And on today's show, we will be looking at Minute 35, in which Martin hits the street and we catch a glimpse of the lethal Felix La Poubelle. And joining us on today's show, we have Bubba Week for his final appearance this week. And hey, Bubba Week happy joins Friday, us everyone. <laughs> happy Friday. Bubba Week joins us from the Fight Club Minute podcast. Welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, so, yeah, we get to finally catch a glimpse of Benny Akadas, a.k.a. Felix La Poubelle, Felix the Dustbin. Um, yeah. And we also make a clear... Uh, cinematic link here that uh, uh, Martin Blank actually does recognize that the NSA agents are, are there also watching him. I don't yes. think that's been called out quite as explicitly up to this point. But yeah, he, he kind of cottons them on. Cottons on yeah, there's kind stuff. of, he glimpses, the, you know, you see him looking their way yeah. a lot. But the way the the editing makes it, as you say, there's a, degree, a slight degree of uncertainty so whether he's genuinely for sure clock them. He seems to be more focused on Debbie and, yeah. uh, and what she's saying. Uh, but now we know he's definitely, definitely sure of them. Uh, yeah. yeah, especially the way they pretend to not be watching him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. They really are terrible at their job, aren't they? <laughs> They've gotten lazy, right? Like the only reason I think they kill the people they're told to watch and deal with is because they don't want to have to do any like you know interrogate them afterwards or put them in prison or do the paperwork. It's like they're dead. Yeah, <laughs> let's move on. Oh yeah, it's like you almost expect them to start whistling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that level of cliche. I oh, just spotted um, uh, Kenneth McCullough's. Uh, K. Todd Freeman's character, as as Martin Blank looks over at them, he kind of slouches down in the chair a slight bit, as if that's going to help in any way. <laughs> like it's a little late. <laughs> oh dear, the incompetence! Oh, it's wonderful, wonderful. The, it is, it is the thing, isn't it? In this kind of film, right? You know, the hitman is the professional. You know, and then the government guys are the incompetent ones. But actually, let's be honest: there's everyone, to one degree or another, here is incompetent in some way. I, I think I think they sell that pretty well, right? Like nobody is yeah. super swell. Yeah. Martin Blank is. He tries. He but tries, but there are yeah. definitely moments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We've watched him mess up already, and how he handled that. Yeah. You know, uh, um, and once we see him with the therapist, that's it. At that point, you just can't take him seriously anymore. Yeah. Um, and we do, of course, get to meet Jeremy Piven's character in this minute as well. Indeed. Whole spritty. Remember when Jeremy Piven was a thing? Yes. He was in like everything for yeah. like about five years and then he disappeared yeah. for the most Harry part. Harry Goldman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was all entourage more than anything, wasn't it, that did it for him? It was like everyone just saw that as his kind of character. But uh, funnily enough, he had a very interesting. Um, follow up over here in we had a, we had a uh he, he became part of the whole period drama thing in mr selfridge 
You guys ever heard of that? That's right. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was three years. That was uh, three, four years, 2013 to 2016. That's quite a long running series. So, um, yeah, I do sometimes wonder if that was his way of like getting away from whatever was going on in, with his career in Hollywood because it allowed him to just kind of spend time over here and just kind of slot into a, a quieter lifestyle. Yeah. If you haven't seen that bubble wheat, it's worth watching. It's actually a pretty good show. It's about a British department store at the turn of the century into kind of first world war. Um, Mm. And it's one of the, the biggest, most famous department stores. It's the British equivalent of Macy's really. Um, Okay. In uh, it's actually on Regent street, right? Not Oxford street, but in, in the heart of, of London's shopping district. Um, and it's very dramatized, a little over the top, but very, very well done. Yeah, I mean, it 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 feel, it, it allows uh, it's it's whether it feels the um, uh, Downton Abbey urge for people who are missing Downton Abbey, you know. Mm. But it was done, but it because it, it was I I I would argue it's slightly better done, but also it, I think Piven's really good in it, and I think that's uh, I think that's that's the important bit here um, because it comes definitely at the end of all of these huge big American movies. And he suddenly just kind of lands up here, and he's been his his career has been a lot quieter since then. Uh, which yeah, is the, I think the big things that I remember him from was uh, uh, PCU, and um, yep. and I watched Ellen whenever it was on. He had a, a big role in that show, and also he did a a short lived uh, one season show called Cupid, mm-hmm. where he was uh, he played the the main character who either was the the living embodiment of cupid or he was a mental patient who thought that he was cupid (laughs) (laughs) and the 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 series i i don't i don't remember if it's ever uh definitely leaned one way or the other but uh it it was like a a romance between him and his uh his uh psychiatrist who was Mm -hmm. like assigned to his case and it was all about him like setting people up in each episode and like playing Cupid on Earth. And then there was always that underlying issue. Is he really Cupid or is he just a crazy person that thinks he's Cupid? Mm. <laughs> that's, I, I like that as a premise for a film, actually. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so this is weird. I'd forgotten I'd actually first seen him in uh, looking at his... Career. I think I must have first seen him. He got a tiny role in The Grifters, but I think the one where I read, and, and actually he's got a small role in White Palace as well, but the one I think I really remember him from is um, Singles, because that's still one of my favorite 90s movies ever. Um, that's a film that if I did a minute, a movies by minute podcast <laughs> myself, I would probably pick it just because of everything that goes on in that film and where it's set and what it's about and the music. Um, you know, there's there's very few films that capture a particular moment in time, and I'd completely forgotten he was in it. But I'm looking at his credits, and I'm like, yes, he is. But uh, you're right about the Ellen, because I remember watching Ellen all the way through. So, um, yeah, he did. He was he was on his way up, wasn't he? When he hits gross point blank, he's you know he's done some big things, but he's not been noticed, so to speak, has he? Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd forgotten kind of... he was in Very Bad Things, and I love that film. Yeah, Very Bad Things is great, isn't it? Mind you, that's a film that's been forgotten quite generally. I mean, that's like a film that needs, you know, reassessing again. Yeah, and it, it is. I think it has always been a little underrated for yes for a film. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I didn't realize he was in Runaway Jury. I still can't think who he plays in that. 
I've seen a couple of people I know who are big movie fans on Facebook were discussing Runaway Jury recently because like some of them are trying to some of them have forgotten it completely and they're like we can't remember it I'm going to go rewatch it oh no I couldn't get through it <laughs> 12 to 20 minutes I was like <sighs> you know? I was like I don't remember it being that bad <laughs> I, I quite liked it I thought it was quite well I like yeah but then I like uh, I like I read all the Grishams at the time you know yeah I don't think any of the films are actually as good as the books but then that's because there's a cynicism in the books that they want, they they try to dispense within the films so that you have always have somebody come out on top at the end as a good guy. Mm. You know, the firm yeah. has got one of the stupidest twists ever in the in the movie to make it different from the book. And um, uh, Pelican Brief decides that it hasn't got the courage to allow a black and white affair on screen, so Julie Roberts never gets to actually shag Denzel Washington. And you're like, that's kind of the point in the book, and you're missing it. Um, and there's a couple of other things, and you can work through them, and you get to the runaway jury, and by that point, there were just like I don't know, three or four Grishams around, or, you know, heading to the screen, and, and it was just like overwhelming fatigue for some people. But I think the films themselves are still individually very well made. I mean, it's like the rash of Stephen King's twenty years earlier. You know, you get really good people working on these films, you yeah. know, and whether and, and 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 whether or not they're good adaptations of the book, they are good films and worth watching in of, in and of themselves. So. But I mean, Runway Jury line. was pretty late in that run of Grisham's, though, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I think fatigue had set in. Yeah. But the thing about Piven is he, he kind of embodied a certain... And again, I think this is where the entourage bit comes in there with Ari Gold. You know, he, he, uh, there was a, cer- a certain kind of fast-talking... Uh, I don't. Not all of the characters have arrogance, but some of... You know, he embodied a certain type of arrogance, shall we say. Mm. Uh, a certain, not quite Napoleonic complex element, but there's like, yeah, there's an interesting run of characters he plays through uh, Smoking Aces, Rock and Roller, The Goods, you know. Um, I mean, it, it, you you kind of got to know, he kind of, he got himself stuck in a rut, I think. And it's kind of mm. really refreshing to go back and see him in Guasman Bank because it's just, it feels like you're at the start of him discovering his on screen persona. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I I was looking through his credits, and it, just because the way that IMDb lists things, a lot of times it uh, lists them based on the the most recent episode. Mm-hmm. And because Ellen was like a long running, and it's been ages since I've seen, actually watched Ellen, he actually mm-hmm. did a a bunch of like one off spots, like crossover episodes on other sitcoms. Like he appeared on uh, Co and on an episode of Coach and Grace Under Fire. Oh, yes as yeah, his uh, and the dana carvey show as his ellen character because so he's credited as spence kovacs and like i was scrolling you know uh, up from the bottom and i kept seeing spence kovacs and i was like where did spence kovacs come from and then i was like scrolling <laughs> down and i couldn't find it was that a movie character and then i had to scroll back up and then it hit ellen and it's like oh it was his character from ellen but it's uh, it Ellen was listed higher because it lasted longer than the other shows. It's just so weird. The IMDb thing is just so weird when it does that. Mm. I've never understood the point. Like, just just put it where it's supposed to be for that person. But, yeah. hey. I don't think it ever was really intended for TV, and they've just not executed well on it. 
IMDb is a, is 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 an interesting for for one of the top ten most used websites in the world. It's an incredible bodge job of things that don't work. <laughs> but then as, I guess as any crowdsourced information platform tends to be, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It is the perfect example of it. I I, still, I can actually remember the the point at which it switched over to being which they pursued the, the its use by professionals so that it could be more accurate. Because I think I was in the, that, that would be going back to when you and I met Dev and we were in the film business, and it's kind of like, you know, I can remember getting getting set up with a login and everything with it so that I could do things for the companies I worked for, you know. Um, yeah. And then they separated that out into IMDb Pro, and suddenly you did. It's like, oh well, the other one can just go back to and <laughs> let it go to hell again. You know? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, but anyway. Um, so yeah. So what do we make of Piven's introduction? I always felt like this was a really awkward interaction. And I mean, I guess it's meant to be, right? Like these are two guys who haven't seen each other in 10 years. One of them doesn't even remember the other one. The first, like, you know, Blank doesn't remember Paul for a long time. Paul is not quite sure it is actually Martin Blank because Martin Blank up and vanished. Yeah. Um, But still, even for all that, it, it feels a little off. Um, well, yeah. and it, it's also like almost the it has the uh, the tension because it, it it's it, him walk Martin Blank rocking down the street has this tension of him walking past these two potential assassins the mm. the one you know the the one foreign assassin which that's that's the first time we see him but the way that the film sets it up it's like that's clearly an assassin that's uh, about that's and they're making each other and the he's not going to kill him right now because it's in the middle of the day in public but they clearly recognize each other and this is like like you said earlier this is where he absolutely makes the the two government agents that are following him and then he uh, and then paul calls out his name and he does this turn where you can see him like uh, almost reaching for a gun but he smoothly Mm. smoothly like uh uh goes away from it as soon as he realizes that that's that it's not yet another assassin and that it's just somebody recognizing him from his hometown even though it is kind of set up weird I, i was trying to look at it and and see what Paul would be looking at in that in that store because it's <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question actually because he is so fascinated by whatever he's looking at and it's it, it looks like it's just a frame store <laughs> like it's you see the neon sign that says custom framing and the the sign at the top says picture although it almost looks like a thrift store yeah, it right. seems like there's yeah. a bunch of junk in there. So, but just he's just completely hunched over, just completely staring at the window for a long period of time until he sees Martin. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they needed something that was like something fairly small that would be set in a window so that he can be really engaged, engrossed in like looking at it, and and it's just it feels entirely narrative, and it's yeah. Yeah, it is one of those things, isn't it? It, It's. I think the other thing about it is it feels you. You you say it feels, you know, strange and awkward and all that. I, for me, that makes it. That's why it feels real. 
you know, we it's almost like another mm. down to earth moment after Debbie. Like you've got these potential killers and the world he's in, and then suddenly it's like bam, yeah. drag you back to earth. Yeah, that's true. You know, true. there's a little bit of that as well. But I think because you know what it also mirrors, it also mirrors the conversation he has with the teacher. There's that same degree of weirdness and uncertainty and awkwardness. Um, but here, I like what I like is that here he latches onto him and doesn't let go, and I like that. There's something really sweet about that. Like, like we were so close once. I'm not letting you get away this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I need answers now, you know, in the same way Debbie, you know, kind of like, was like, yeah, I, yeah. It's something fascinating. Piven's an interesting guy. I think I feel like, I feel like that before he got into his, his, his stylistic rut, I always felt like he was an interesting performer to see on screen. Um, and I always felt like he did. <laughs> there, there, there was an energy about him that felt just ever so slightly more real than some actors. Mm. I don't know where in his in himself that was coming from, but I, I mean that's what I like. That's why I like seeing him whenever he turned up in the nineties. He was always just that little bit different and had a different energy from everyone else, and just did things in a slightly more real way, which is always what made his comedy work because his comedy was always rooted in you know the you know something that felt it felt like there was something more real behind it, even if it was if there necessarily wasn't. I mean, it just makes him a good performer. Especially when he's up against John Cusack, who's quite reserved in his acting, or Christian mm. Slater in Very Bad Things. Again, like a fairly mm. reserved actor. Um, yeah, yeah. He gets yeah he gets to be the person who's doing you know doing all the big energy. Yeah. Um, mm. But it's but it's the fact that he does that in a certain way that makes it still kind of fit within the reality of whatever the setting is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I also really like Paul as a character throughout the whole movie. He's, yes. He has, like, he's just such a great character. Just from this scene, and then end the the showing the house scene, and then driving the car, smoking a joint, and then mm. the fact that he's the one that helps him uh, uh, burn the body at yeah. the yeah. reunion. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. That that that's like the ultimate test of friendship, isn't it? Like, you know, he doesn't say no. He doesn't run away. He's like, he just. Get, he gets stuck in even though he knows he shouldn't be i love that mm-hmm. i love that about him because that's that that that's a friend that's the honest person that's who he really is right right there yeah he's the guy who will actually help you dispose of a body yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but yeah it, wonderful stuff it is it, and again you know all, all starting from such a small place as well in the film could have gone any direction yeah So, yeah, that, I think. Is this minute, minute cuts off just slightly before I want it to. I'm waiting for that, <laughs> the, the Bob DiStefano conversation to happen, and we don't quite get there yet, and it's killing me. No, sorry. <laughs> I also think that, okay, I've got one more thing on this. Is like literally just bang on them, on, just, you know, as, as we hit the end of the minute, the actual conversation they're having. Um, in terms of what they're saying to each other, let me just let me just move that forward to the subtitle. Uh, I've expected back. you to come back into town with feral wreaths and paper pants, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This 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 whole idea of, you know, we already joked about the whole business of, you know, 
not believing him when he says who he is and what he does. But yeah, there they are, both in suits and ties and, you know, clearly reaching, you know, clearly both doing okay professionally, although obviously Martin looks like a funeral director. Um, but the whole idea of the cult um, and the whole idea of no money in it says you, you know, <laughs> like the cynicism about joining a cult, like what? <laughs> no money and it says you and like wait what what do you know about cults that we know <laughs> you know but then also you know look at you you've gone so well. i mean that just that whole thing of again what we were saying in a previous episode about clothing and color coding and uh you know what it tells us not just about the characters but also the sense of class as class distinction as well you know these guys have yeah, they're not the guys they were at school anymore, and they're not in the ill-fitting suits for the for the ball. You know, yeah. they're looking good in you know decent daily office wear, and they they don't need to say a lot to know. I mean, the way they're looking each other up and down, checking shoes out, everything you can tell. You know, there's there's, there's a lot being done by the actors just as we hit the the, the end of the minute. Uh, they're both visually doing a lot uh, in addition to the dialogue to sort of sell how these characters work and how they reconnect very, very quickly and reassess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, any parting thoughts, Bubble Wheat? Um, I don't think so. I, I, I just, I, I had a lot of fun watching the, the whole movie. Uh, I, it was great. To, it's always great to have an excuse to, to go back and, and watch a a great movie. I I really enjoyed it, start to finish. I like seeing um, again, like the some of the the actors that uh, popped up from the '90s sitcoms. I remember like mm. Jeremy Piven, and uh, later on in the movie, Jenna Elfman from mm. um, Dharma and Greg, and uh, so and then Debbie's father also played, uh, I believe, her or. Uh, I think it was uh, Greg's father in that sitcom as yep, well. And he did. I, yeah, I love, yeah, yeah, good point. I, I love him as an actor too. He's so yeah. so great. Just seeing all that and this this was a really fun movie. So th thank you so much for letting me come on and giving me an excuse to watch this uh, this great classic movie. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'm glad we got to uh, persuade you to watch this movie at long last after seeing. <laughs> Myths of exploding microwaves debunked on uh, Mythbusters. Yeah, that was a good Mythbusters episode. Yeah. <laughs> okay, folks, this was Minute 35 of the Gross Point Blank podcast, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, featuring your co-hosts, co-writers, and co-producers, Dev Sothergar and Hugh David. Today's guest uh, was Bubble Wheat of the Fight Club Minute podcast. And where can we find you, Bubble Wheat? Um, I've... As I've said every every day this week, I'm primarily on all the pretty much all the socials out there where I am at Bubba Weeds. And uh, going back to my uh, kind of my main project, I'd like to think is uh, my Fight Club Minutes. We are doing the same thing that you guys are doing, covering Fight Club Minutes or Fight Club one minute at a time. Uh, although we're at a little bit of a slower pace, only doing three days a week, releasing Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, you can find that on all the podcatchers. Just search for Fight Club Minute. And uh, we're also part of the Rabbit Hole Podcasting Network, which you can find at rabbitholepodcasts.com, where uh, I'm on there with a bunch of other podcasts covering movies, TV shows, board games, books, uh, you know, so many different podcasts. And they are all fantastic. Awesome. Uh, you can find us on all good podcast players. 
as well as YouTube, X, formerly known as Twitter, and Spotify. We're at Debbie Radio on all of those. And our website is also debbyradio.com. And it is Debbie spelt D-E-B-I in all of those cases. And if you want to have a conversation with us, please find us at the Facebook listeners group, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. That's once again D-E-B-I Radio. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl smoking for the first time. It wasn't a moment, it was a feeling.